turn our attention now to Holy Scripture, and we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And while you're turning there, let me bring you up to speed if you're just joining us. Here at Refuge, we have a very high view of the Bible, and most often we just work through books of the Bible, a paragraph at a time. And we are continuing our journey through the book of Nehemiah, which is a wonderful but often overlooked story in the Old Testament of an ordinary man that God uses to do a truly extraordinary thing. They rebuild the wall around Jerusalem that had lay in ruins for 140 years in only 52 days, and it is both spiritually and practically significant in the story that God is telling through the nation of Israel. It is practically significant in the sense that it protects the city and also spiritually significant in the fact that because of that protection, they are allowed to resume formal temple worship, which is how they connected with God during this period of redemptive history. And today we're going to see some very interesting material, uh, something that looks one way on the surface, but is something truly different underneath. And from Nehemiah's response, we will learn a great deal about how can, we can respond to opposition of various kinds in our own lives as well. So let's pray, ask for the Spirit's help, and we'll get right to work. Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We ask that we be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name. Amen. Let's pick up the story right here in verse 1, and it says this, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, <coughs> and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Now, just so that we don't forget, the men that are listed here, the Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, they are the Joker, Penguin, and Riddler figures of the story of Nehemiah. His constant enemies, his constant detractors, his constant uh, coterie of annoyance, if you will. And they are there to uh, distract him and to try to destroy the work that God has called him to do which makes what happens here in the first couple of verses of great interest, doesn't it? Look back at what they were saying there. They are saying to him, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. And so, on the surface, this seems like a, a, a kind invitation, right? They know they're beaten. Hey, we, can't, we, we couldn't stop it, so now let's make peace. Let's not be bad losers. But Nehemiah was wise to that. He was wise to the fact that this was just a smokescreen, and there was clearly something going on in the background. Take a look at the next verse. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So, from these few verses, our first principle that emerges is this, that Nehemiah shows us that good leaders have good discernment and a good handle on their priorities. Good leaders have good discernment and a good handle on their priorities. Now, before you check out on me here, when I talk about leaders, I am not simply talking about people like Nehemiah. I'm not simply talking about pastors and CEOs and team leaders at work. The way I'm talking about leaders 
is that all of us are leaders in some capacities. Husbands, we lead our families along with our wives. We may lead teams at work. There can be true leadership with a title that is given. Uh, we could lead a sports team, a Bible club at school. There could be all kinds of things that we could lead. But even if there aren't those things in place in our lives, all of us were charged with at least leading ourselves. So just like Nehemiah, it is absolutely imperative that we have good discernment and a good handle on our priorities. Now, this kind of discernment <coughs> that Nehemiah shows here, that he, he knew something was up. He knew this was too good to be true. He knew there had to be some shenanigans running in the background. How does one get that kind of discernment? Well, let me give you a few practical steps that will help you move in that direction in your own life. The first one is you got to immerse yourself in the scripture. And one of the reasons why we beat the drum so hard here for the scriptures at Refuge Church is because it is very obvious in our culture that not everyone is beating that drum. Sadly, not even within church culture, as it were today, is everyone beating that drum. Because so often folks are chasing an experience, they are chasing some kind of uh, other pursuit other than historic ways of connecting with Christianity. And so we want to be very clear, listen, we are about the Bible. Are we for experiencing God? Absolutely. Are we for wonderful music and all the other things that, that accompany the typical church services? Absolutely. But friends, we can never get away from what has sustained Christians for centuries, and that is the Word of God. It is the primary way that God speaks to his people. It's the primary way that he has chosen to reveal himself and tell us the good news about Jesus. And it transforms us by the renewing of our minds when we take it in and take it on on a regular basis. That's why the dominant voice on Sundays, whoever is teaching, they are teaching from the Bible. That's why we work through the sermons in community group. That's why uh, our Thrive groups, our men's groups, our children's ministry, they all go very much through and around the Bible because we want this kind of discernment that Nehemiah had. We want to be able to look and see what's a bad idea, what's a good idea, and what's a God idea. And the only way you get that <coughs> is by having your mind uh, renewed by the truth of Scripture. So let me ask you a question here. How committed are you to learning, growing, and prizing the Word of God in your own life? Are you taking advantage of all the things that Refuge has to offer in this way? Are you listening to other materials, reading other books that can help you? Friend, if not, your discernment is not going to be what it could be because God has given us the Word to help us grow and being able to spot truth and to spot lies and spot those things in between. And that's where it all begins. Now, beyond that, <clears throat> I want to also encourage you in the way that the book of Proverbs does, in Proverbs 13, 20, that we need to walk with the wise. That's what that verse says. That the uh, if you Basically, this is my paraphrase of it. If you want to become wise, you walk with wise people because the companion of fools suffers harm. And so if you want to be someone that, that has good discernment, you need to hang out with other people that have good discernment. That's why one of the reasons that, that I'm so glad to have uh, good people around me to help make decisions 
that's why I'm so thankful to have a, a wonderful discerning wife uh, that can help me in, in all kinds of ways, both within and beyond ministry, because I'm under no illusion that I see everything and know everything, and in fact know that quite the opposite is true. My assumption is that even at my best, I'm not going to see and I'm not going to know everything, and I'm going to get some things wrong, a lot of things wrong. And so trying to walk with wise people in community, it helps minimize some of that damage that just comes from living in a fallen world. And my question to you would be is, are, do you have those people in your life? Are you taking advantage, again, of the resources that Refuge has to offer? Some, some good, wise people that we have in this church that have good discernment and also have this sense that, that Nehemiah is, is showing us here between the lines, that he knew exactly what he was called to. Look back in your text there. How does he even frame the fact that he said he wasn't coming? He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. That shows us that he knew what God had called him to do. He, he knew what in that moment his task was, his purpose was, and he was not going to let anything else distract him from doing that. And so the question for you there is kind of twofold. Number one, do you know what, what that is in the different spheres of your life that you're in right now, at home, at work, uh, with your health as an individual, those kinds of things? Do you know what God has called you to do? <clears throat> and then second, are you surrounding yourself with those kinds of people that also know and can help you walk in that direction. Because these are the kinds of things <clears throat> that we need in our lives to be able to, to walk out the kind of example that we have here in Nehemiah. So it starts with Scripture. We must have good people around us that have good discernment, a good handle on what God has called us and them to do. And then finally... All the other spiritual disciplines, walking with God in prayer, spending time out in creation where you can see his handiwork and you can sense his presence and you can know his nearness and just cultivating your relationship with God. Because if we want to have good discernment and we want to have a good handle on our priorities and we want to lead ourselves and others well, these are the kind of places that it all begins. Let's look on here in verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, this is significant on a couple of different fronts. Number one, uh, the fact that he will not give up is going to show us something significant in just a moment. But the fact that this was an open letter was a big deal because it intends to communicate something that a closed letter would not. Uh, this was true in the ancient times in which Nehemiah lived. It's still true today. When someone uh, an official, in an official capacity would write something specific, they would often close the letter and then take some kind of seal or wax and a ring or, or some, a seal or something and, and stamp it and close it. And it would intend to communicate, hey, your eyes only. This is just for you. Take care of this. Open letter, very different story. And the open letter was to signify, hey, we want everybody to know this. And if it gets dropped along the way, or if it gets passed around, and this becomes published to everybody, well, isn't that unfortunate? No, it's purposeful. And this is what shows us the second principle, that Nehemiah reveals to us 
that doing what God calls us to do requires both resilience and perseverance. Doing what God calls us to do requires both resilience and perseverance. And this was especially true in his case because he has already had to turn these guys down. How many times? Five times. And now they have included this open letter to slant the narrative in such a way to make Nehemiah look as bad as possible. So they're not just in, uh, just uh, trying to detract from his work. They are seeking to impugn his character as well. But let's think about this notion here of resilience and perseverance. I went to a conference one time, uh, and I heard a guy, many of you familiar with his work, uh, named John Maxwell. And he was talking about uh, business, actually, at this point. And he said, everything you want in life is uphill. And I thought that was such good wisdom. Everything you want in life is uphill. It's going to be hard. The fallen world is against you, so on and so forth. But then I thought <clears throat> there would actually be another good statement that could go along with that. That would be, and if you get what you want, you're going to have to fight like crazy to maintain it. Because if you get lazy, you're going to lose it all. And man, isn't that so true? And isn't that true in every single sphere of our lives? You think about, let's say you've been on some kind of weight loss journey. It is so hard to lose weight, but lots of people do it. And But those who keep it off are the ones that they don't just go on a crash diet and cut a few calories. They completely change the way they approach to food, the, the way they approach food, the way they think about uh, eating. Uh, they they uh, get take up some new habits like exercise and and moving around and drinking more water and sleeping and all this kind of thing. Because you don't want to simply lose the weight, but you want to maintain the weight loss, and that requires resilience and perseverance. Same thing is true in marriage. Uh, it is not enough simply to get married. If you want to maintain that marriage, you have to continue to cultivate it. Uh, you have to continue to prioritize it, to defend it, to persevere in it, to be willing to uh, do the hard heart work and have the hard conversations uh, that, that perpetuate um, the, the, the facilitation of that marriage uh, over many years. And I'm very thankful uh, for my wife that has uh, endured with me for 20 plus years now and is a great example of that kind of perseverance of, of being willing to, to continue to, to, to deal with and work through hard things. Same thing is true in parenting. The same thing is true in business, that it's not enough just to get the business going. If you want to see the business sustained, you have to continually work at it and maintain it and so on. So let me ask you this practical question based on Nehemiah's example here. Is there any place in your life that right now the Lord is saying to you, hey, you need to pay attention to this? You might have said no the first time, but now we're talking about the fifth time and the sixth time and the continued assault that comes upon us by living in a fallen world. Is there any place that we need to be wise and paying attention, not just to obey, but to continue to obey for the glory of God and the good of the world? If so, friends, let's pay careful attention to that today because the Lord is speaking to us through Nehemiah. Now, let me also give us some good gospel news here in the midst of this because it can be very easy to hear this and just go, man, that is so true. Life is just so hard. I mean, the world, the flesh, and the devil are against us. 
we found out now that you know there's all kinds of purposeful misinformation on Facebook and social media. There's these bad actors out there. We got we got questions now about you know all kinds of things in our culture that people didn't even question 10, 15 years ago. It, it's a hard time to be alive. And then you hear this and you say, man, it just never lets up, does it? That's true. It never does let up. But guess what else never lets up? The grace of God. And if you have turned from your sins and trusted in Christ today, inside of you is the same power <coughs> that raised Jesus from the dead. You are not alone. God did not throw Christian obedience to you and say, hey, good luck figuring out that Bible. Do what you can. We give an account for your life at the end of eternity. We'll see how you did. That's completely the opposite of what God has done. <clears throat> he has given you the word. He has given you his spirit. He has given you uh, a community be a, to be a part of that wants to help you grow in all these different ways. And most importantly, he has given you Jesus as both your example and your empowerment to help you on this path. Uh, one passage that we thought of many times during this book, I, I think of it again today at this portion of the text, it's the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. You may recall that story. He's been uh, fasting. He's been out in the wilderness uh, for 40 days. And then Satan comes along at his weakest moment, and he tempts Jesus with all the things that, that would have tempted him, and power and glory and all these different things. And every time, how does Jesus respond? He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. So again, the primacy of the scripture in the life of Jesus, just like we talked about, and his dependence upon the Holy Spirit, just like we talked about, to be able to do what God has called him to do. So Jesus gives us the example of how we're going to say no, no, and no in the way that Nehemiah did. But he also gives us the empowerment to do this. And any time the Lord gives us a command, or in this case, he gives us an example to follow, he also gives us the spiritual resources that we need to be able to do it. So go back to that thing that we talked about just a moment ago. When I said, is there any particular area of your life that you're concerned that you might have gotten lazy? Did you know that God is most willing to meet you there at that place of deepest need? And we just need to humble ourselves and we need to press into Jesus in the midst of whatever that struggle is where you feel like you're about to fall down, where you feel like you just can't keep going, where you feel like you're about to fall off the tightrope that you've been walking on, God is willing to meet you there. Not some future, altogether, ready to charge hell with a squirt gun version of you, but that version of you that feels weak and powerless and hopeless God will meet you there. And so, friends, my encouragement to you today as we look to the example of Nehemiah is that we look through the example of Nehemiah and we see the example and the empowerment of Jesus, his grace that is there for us, his spirit that is there within us, his word that is our anchor, and that we would be encouraged and that we would have the resilience that we need that we would have the perseverance that we need, not from pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but by running to Jesus and asking for what only he can do.
Now, a couple more things I want to point out here. Look at verse 6. <coughs> it says, In it, so this open letter, it was written, <coughs> It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you were rebuilding this wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. I mean, can you believe these guys? All the different things that they have done to, to threaten, to malign, and now they're just out and out telling lies. None of these things were true. Nehemiah doesn't want to be their king. He's just trying to be faithful to God, what God has called him to do. But in the midst of that, the opposition takes this particular uh, insidious shape. And it gives us our third principle. And that is that doing what God calls us to do sometimes requires us to confront lies, gossip, and misinformation. Doing what God calls us to do sometimes requires us to confront lies, gossip, and misinformation. Listen, <clears throat> there's not a single one of us watching this that has not dealt with this in some capacity. We have all had this happen to us at some point. And for some, this hits really close to home, doesn't it? You've had some situation at work where you were accused of something that you clearly did not do. And even though you ended up being vindicated, you still had to go through that whole process, difficult as it was, and you know exactly what Nehemiah was dealing with there. Friends, in this world, we will <coughs> have trouble. And I think about this in a, in a church standpoint, and the way that this most often pops up in churches is through the sin of gossip. Now, I'm happy to say that historically, uh, this has not really been a problem at Refuge. Uh, it, it, it's not a major problem now. But I will say this. In this season of reset, in this season of a lot of transition, in this season where uh, everything around us seems to be on fire, this is the kind of season that we need to be especially mindful that it does not become a problem. And one of the things that, that we must understand about gospel culture is that it is not just trendy language that we put on having friends at church. That's not what gospel culture is about. Having friends at church can be a part of gospel culture, but when we talk about gospel culture, we're talking about a gospel greenhouse where anyone can grow. Someone comes in and they don't even yet know Jesus. Well, we share the gospel with them. And they meet Christ and they grow. Somebody comes in and they're interested in being a pastor. Well, we meet that person where they are. They can grow. The gospel greenhouse has room for everybody. And on top of that, it's a place of time and safety where sometimes change happens quickly for some people. Sometimes it happens very slowly. But we don't judge and we don't malign each other. We walk alongside and we encourage and so that kind of safe place, green pastures and still waters, that kind of greenhouse has no room for gossip. And so that means that if we do have a problem with someone in the church, maybe it's somebody in your community group, maybe it's even a question you have for the elders or something like that, we need to always make sure that we talk to that person 
and not about that person. That, that we don't have a lot of unhelpful side conversations, but we go to the person that can actually help us resolve whatever the issue is. Is that a challenge? Yeah, it is. It's far easier to, to have a conversation about somebody than a conversation with somebody. But part of gospel culture requires that. If we want to be a safe place where anybody can grow, there's no room for talking to people and or, or not talking or talking about people and not talking to people. And let me also say this as well. It's very important that we all understand that this is a group project. It is not simply the job of the elders to, to say, oh, I heard about gossip. I, I got to do something about it. Chances are eight, nine times out of 10, the elders never know. But the, the, those kinds of conversations can take place after community group or at mom's day or before men's ministry, the, the, kind of other environments. And so we together have got to be committed to pulling out those weeds that can contaminate the gospel greenhouse of this gospel culture that we have. And it is all of our job not just the job of the group leaders, not just the job of the pastors. It is all of our job to keep and cultivate the gospel culture that God has given us, and we need to make sure that we do that. Now, Nehemiah here, it gives us a great example in how to do that because he confronts what in their case are just completely out and out lies. He confronts them head on. Take a look at this. Then I said to them, this is verse 8, uh, no such thing as you had said has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. Now, this is a little side principle here, but I think it's very interesting that he was able to discern that part of their modus operandi was fear that he knew that what they were trying to do was to get the people afraid and to get him afraid. And if they, they could get them walking completely in fear, they were going to walk away from the work. We need to always be wise about that, friends. We need to be very careful that we are walking in trust with God and stepping into what God has for us and that we have wisdom uh, about things, but that we don't live in fear about things. And then finally, in this last verse here, Nehemiah really puts uh, feet on it by doing what we've seen him, done, seen him do so many times before. Take a look at it here. He says, but now, <coughs> oh God, strengthen my hands. And that's our fourth and final principle. Nehemiah shows us that turning to God in prayer is always the right response. Turning to God in prayer is always the right response. And listen, you talk about a truth that applies to everything, friends, this one sure does. I don't care if you've got a money problem, if you've got a marriage problem, if you've got a parenting problem, you've got an automotive problem, you've got a neighbor problem. It is always a good idea to stop and pray because when we pray, we remind ourselves of so many wonderful truths. We remind ourselves that we are completely and utterly dependent upon the God of the Bible. When Jesus is talking about this, what does he say? He says, <clears throat> I am the vine and you are the branches and apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Friends, we need that kind of awareness. It also reminds us of just how great and big God is, and it resizes our problems. doesn't mean that they aren't problems, but it reminds us how big God is and how sovereign God is even over those big problems. There's no problem that we have that is bigger than God. It also allows us to <coughs> ask for the spiritual and practical resources that we need to do what God has called us to do. And that is exactly what Nehemiah is doing here. He is saying, oh God, strengthen my hands. He's not saying, Lord, take these problems away. He's saying in the midst of this, give me grace to do what I need to do. Help me stay faithful and to stay the course in this time. And you know what? We've got chapter after chapter after chapter of faithfulness from God to show that he would do just that. And you know how else I know God is going to do that in our lives? How he's going to strengthen our hands? Because he has strengthened our souls in the gospel. See, God came along and when we were at our weakest, lowest point, and he made us strong in Christ. He gave us the perfect life, the substitute's death, and the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus to show us his heart and his concern for us. So that when we find ourselves in a situation like Nehemiah found himself, consistent, continued opposition, we have an example to look to in Christ that shows us the reality that Nehemiah points to. And he also gave us the empowerment that we need in Christ to live out that kind of faithful and fruitful existence. And beyond that, in those moments when we are consistently and continually opposed and we begin to wonder, how does God feel about us? How should we feel about this situation? Friends, we can never question God's heart to us as long as we can see Calvary. Because we see the active obedience of Jesus throughout his entire life, and we see the passive obedience of Jesus in dying that substitute's death for us, and we see how he feels about us. We know how he feels about us. He loves us. He cares for us. He sought us when we couldn't even seek him. And because of the greatness of the glory of the gospel, we now have hope in this life. And for some who are hearing this today, you are hearing this, and it is wonderful good news that you've never embraced before. Maybe you came in here today and your plan to get to heaven is to simply try to be as good as you can and work your way there. Friends, here's the reality. You can never be good enough because the standard is not goodness, it's perfection. And the only way any of us can meet that standard is through having the standard of Jesus Christ placed atop of us. It's turning aside from trying to save ourselves and trusting only in Christ. And if that resonates with you today, perhaps even in a, a surprising way, my encouragement would be that you admit that you're a sinner, that you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and you commit your life to follow him. That's your response to this message today. And I would ask that you would reach out to us and let us know that you want to follow Christ and we want to help you as best we can in that way as you pray for God to save you today. And for those who've made this turn, 
There's so much that we've talked about today, so much about leadership and discernment and priorities and how to deal with opposition. Friends, it can help. It can cause us sometimes to feel weighed down. But what I want you to know more than anything is that Jesus carried all that weight for you. And now he helps you with his word, with his spirit, with his people, as you seek to carry that weight in your own life. And so my encouragement would be that as we think and meditate upon the greatness and the glory of the gospel, that it would draw your heart to Christ, that you would feel loved and cared for and not alone, and that the Lord is with you and for you in Jesus. So let's pray toward that end now, and let's ask for what only God can do in response to this message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about so many things in life. And we thank you most of all that it points us and pulls us toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would warm our hearts today, that we would be faithful and fruitful in the coming week because of the word we've heard today. In Jesus' good name, amen.